Well, welcome to Canyon Hills. Good morning. I love that when everyone's awake and everyone's ready to hear a wonderful message. Well, right before the message, if you guys can do me a favor, if you guys can open up your Bibles, turn on your Bibles, open up your iPads or whatever it is you have your Bible on, because I'm sure all of you do, uh, to Psalm 23. We'll be there in just a moment. And it's a wonderful privilege this morning because we have a guest speaker. But again, before we do it, if you guys can do me a favor and take the basket of pens and pass it through your aisle so that everybody could have some notes. Well, as you know, we've been in the series, The Goodness of God, and it's, a, it's been a great series, and we're in our fifth installment, and this morning we have a, a great speaker, to our very own, from our very own church, that is coming to just share the message with you, and just to share part five of letting God's goodness lead you, and for that, if you guys can just help me welcome this guy. <laughs> I think you guys all know who he is, but this is Dustin Lozano, and he's here to share that message, and right before he does, I'd just like to pray for him. If you guys can bow your heads just one more time. Father, we are grateful to you this morning. Again, Lord, we just want to give you the honor and the credit, Lord. And I ask that you would just speak through Dustin as he does that, Lord, that you would give him that boldness that can only come from you, that can only come from your word, Father. And at the end of all of this, may your word be proclaimed as a result of that. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Dustin. Thanks, Carlos. Well, I came up early so Carlos couldn't say anything embarrassing about me. Just (laughs) cut him off and... Uh, So if you would, please open your Bibles, as Carlos said, to Psalm 23. Of course, we've been in there uh, in Psalm 23 the past four weeks. Um, This morning, we'll be looking at verses, primarily verses one through three. We'll be flipping around in scripture a little bit. And um, as you know, uh, this is one of the most famous Psalms, if not one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. Um, I wanted to read for you before we start something that was written by Charles Spurgeon, a great Victorian preacher, about this psalm. And it really really just captures um, what this psalm is all about. He wrote that there is no inspired title to this psalm, and none is needed, for it records no special event and needs no other key than that which every Christian may find in his own bosom. It is David's heavenly pastoral, a surpassing ode, which none of the daughters of music can excel. The clarion of war here gives way or gives place to the pipe of peace, and he who so lately bewailed the woes of the shepherd tunefully rehearses the joys of the flock. Sitting under a spreading tree with his flock around him, we picture David singing this unrivaled pastoral with a heart as full of gladness as it could hold. Or if the psalm be the product of his after years, we are sure that his soul returned in contemplation to the lonely water brooks which rippled among the pastures of the wilderness, where in early days she had been wont to dwell. This is the pearl of psalms, whose soft and pure radiance delights every eye, a pearl of which Helicon need not be ashamed, though Jordan claims it. Of this delightful song, it may be affirmed, that its piety and poetry are equal, its sweetness and its spirituality are unsurpassed. So, not really a better way to sum up that psalm, sum up this psalm than that. And it's true. I mean, this psalm has brought comfort and encouragement to so many people through the years. So let's look at verses one through three. And I'm gonna, I'll go ahead and just read them for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So 
David is, is writing this psalm, and he's writing it from experience. He's writing the psalm from the things that he's gone through in life, and, and he's, he's looking back either, um, as Spurgeon said, either as a young man, we don't know exactly when this is written in, in David's life, but either as a young man or as an old man, but he's contemplating the way that God has led him. And in thinking about David, um, really reflecting on his life, this was a guy that had gone through some stuff, like, like we all have, but David went through some, some crazy experiences, and as he's called a man after God's own heart, um, he's, he's reflecting here based on his relationship with the Lord. So let me just go through a, a few of the things that David went through in his life, just to kind of, I guess, give David's credentials for being able to speak on this topic. When he was a young boy, he was considered insignificant by his family. If you recall the story of when Samuel came to anoint uh, the next king, David was the last one picked. His, his dad didn't even think that he would be uh, a good choice for king. He was told he couldn't do it, for instance, when he went to fight Goliath. They said, you have no chance. His abilities were doubted. He was hated by many people. Saul tried to kill David. He was transient for many years of his life, living in, living in the wilderness when he was running from Saul for those three years. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a job. He was poor. He was fearful running for his life. He faced giants, which I won't, that example will go unnamed. I think you guys know what that refers to. Uh, he was a huge sinner. Not only did he commit adultery, but then he committed murder to cover it up. He had marital problems, even somewhat suffering a divorce. If you recall with McCall, Saul's daughter, he put her out and wouldn't speak to her. He experienced the death of a child twice. If you recall with Bathsheba's son and then his son Absalom. He was humiliated publicly when he went to the Philistines to escape Saul, and he, it says that he feigned madness, and he let the, the drool come down his beard, and he, he acted like he was going crazy so the Philistines wouldn't kill him. He was betrayed by a child. Absalom kicked him out as king and set himself up as king. He was betrayed by an extremely close friend, uh, which you can read about in Psalm 55 and also in the Old Testament, the... Uh, um, the story of Ahithophel. His daughter was raped by his son. His son was murdered, Absalom. He was estranged and hated by a child, his son Amnon. He had extreme divisions in his family. He suffered periods of time of extreme sickness, which you can read about in Psalm 32. He had severe depression, which you can read about in Psalm 22. He felt forsaken by God, Psalm 22. He had major disappointments in that God told him he couldn't build a temple and extreme failures. So anybody's life beat, can you guys top that? I mean, this guy had, this guy had some stuff that he had gone through and he had some experiences. And so I think in order to really capture what David is saying here, you've really got to let yourself kind of rest today, kind of relax, and listen to what David is saying here. David is, is writing as a shepherd. This is a psalm, a, a shepherd's psalm by a shepherd writing about the good shepherd. 
So David says there in verse 2, the first thing he tells us, well, as for purposes of our, of our topic this morning about God's leading, he says that he leads me beside the still waters. Now, that word in the Hebrew there for lead, it's an interesting word, and, and as you may or may not know, the Hebrew is much more expressive uh, in, its, in its terms, in its words, than English is. In English, we say we have you know, one word for, for love. We say, I love ice cream, and I love my wife, right? I, I, hate, I hate cancer, and I hate the Red Sox, right? So we say, we say things like that. But in Hebrew, there's words that are more expressive, um, and there's different words that are used. So the word here that David uses for lead, I want to just get into a little bit about, about what's in that word, because it's insightful here. And if we just read it as he leads me beside still waters, we're going to miss what is trying to be expressed here, or what is being expressed. That, so this word for lead here, it suggests this sort of sense of leading to a watering place and causing to rest there. It, it inherently has this meaning of provision and protection. So what David is saying here is that the Lord is leading me to a watering place. He's leading me to the place of provision. He's leading me to the place of protection. And he's causing me to rest there. And the thing I like about what David is saying, the way he's stating is, you know, sometimes as Christians we can kind of say, well, I hope the Lord does this, or I think God may do that, or... You know, I'm hopeful that if I pray enough that God might come through in this way. But David is confident here. Don't, don't mistake this. David isn't suggesting a possibility. David is stating a reality. He says, he leads me. There's no, there's no possibility for any other path here but the fact that God leads him. So, We'll talk about this this morning a little bit, but we've got we've to catch this this morning, and you've got you've to have this imprinted on your mind because it's easy sometimes to lose sight of this fact that the Lord is leading me. When, when there's confusion and things aren't working out like you thought they were going to and things don't happen the way you thought they would or there's setbacks, there's disappointments, we've all been there. You've got to know that even in the midst of that, whether you feel it or not, okay, it's not about feelings, whether you feel it or not, that God is leading you. And that the Lord is leading you to that watering place and he's causing you to rest. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't sense that. I don't feel rest in my soul. Well, you're not at your destination yet. So you've got you've to be patient and you've got to rest in him. Psalm 37, another psalm by David, he said this. And this we do know that David wrote when he was an old man. He said Rest in the Lord. So David, as an old man, after all the stuff he went through, David's suggestion is to rest in the Lord. Can you do that this morning? Are you doing that this morning? Hebrews chapter 4 expounds on the concept of rest, and it talks about the children of Israel. And it talks about how they continued to strive even when God, God brought them into the land. God told them, I'm going to bring you into a land. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to do everything for you. All you need to do is believe me. Just believe me. That was it. 
But we know from the New Testament that it says that they stumbled in unbelief. They didn't believe that God was going to do it. If you recall the story when God brings them into Canaan and they send the, the spies, right? And, and I think, it's, what is it, 10 of the spies say, don't go, can't do it. There's giants, you know, they've got tanks, don't do it. And two of them said, these guys, are, these guys are bread for us. We can take them. The Lord has said, I'm going to give you the land. Go up and do it. And the Bible says that God overheard them talking, and he heard the 10 spies, and he said, okay, those 10 and the rest of the children of Israel, I'm not going to give it to you. If you don't believe me, I'm not going to give it to you. And they were saying, oh, if we go up, our children will be killed. You know, if we, if we go into this land, they'll devour our, ch- our children. And God told him, he said, actually, I'm going to give the land to your children. So the, the children that you say God, that, that are going to be destroyed, I'm going to give the land to them. So we know that the children of Israel stumbled through unbelief. But Hebrews 4 speaks to us and exhorts us to be diligent to enter into the rest that the children of Israel fail to enter into. You see, the children of Israel continued to insist. They insisted on living in a relationship with God that was built on the law, that was built on a works system, a system that was designed to show them, as Paul tells us, that it was a schoolmaster, to show them their need for a savior. And they continued to insist on that relationship of works But Hebrews 4 tells us to rest, to be diligent to enter into the rest, to be diligent to, as David would say, rest in the Lord. And the word diligence, to me, that implies a little bit of responsibility on our part. You've got to, I think, simply stop and know that the Lord is in control. You've got to rest in the finished work of the cross. It's not striving and straining and accomplishing and doing and exerting your powers and your abilities and your will and what you think is best. It's not a system of works. It's a system of it's finished, as Jesus said. It's a finished system. It's tetelestai. It's paid in full. So because of that, because of that reality, David is saying, he leads me beside still waters. Because David was resting in the Lord. And David exhibited that all through his life, didn't he? If you guys recall the story of Absalom, when Absalom basically had decided that he was going to take over as king, he came into Israel, he came into Jerusalem, and they told David that Absalom's coming with his men to, to basically either, ha- either have a battle or just take it over if David leaves. And David chose to leave. He chose not to fight. He chose not to take matters into his own hands. And he went ahead and just escaped by abandoning the city. And what happened? Well, you guys know this story. Ultimately, what happened? Absalom was displaced, was was killed, and David came back into power. Um, Then as David is leaving... If you guys remember, there's, there's the guy that's throwing rocks at David, calling him you know, a murderer, saying, you deserve this, David. And David, doesn't, again, doesn't take matters into his own hands. He just leaves it up to the Lord. And I think of even greater example in the life of David is, is with Saul, right? They told David, they said, take his life. Here he is sleeping, Saul, as David you know, comes upon Saul in his encampment, and he's, he's sleeping, and, 
his David's men said, take out your sword and kill Saul. Here's your chance. God has delivered him, even some good godly counsel from his Christian brothers, right? Kill this guy. Here's your chance. And David said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm going to let the Lord do it. And if the Lord wants to do it, he'll do it. But I'm not going to set myself up. And see, that's the place of rest, isn't it? Because what does the world tell you? The world doesn't give you that message, right? The world says, assert yourself. You know, you got to market yourself. You got to, you know, roll up your sleeves, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get it done, right? It's all about how you market yourself, how you promote your image, you know, about asserting yourself, getting in there, getting your way. But the Bible tells us that promotion doesn't come from the East or the West. Promotion comes from the Lord. So if you know that and you believe that as a believer, and we do, you can rest. The other concept that this word lead carries with it is the concept of leading to a goal or a destination. Now, this is, this is comforting as well because sometimes you don't sense that, do you? If you're in a trial, you're in a situation, maybe with your job or with any situation really where you're not sure how it's going to work out, how it's going to uh, come to fruition or the end is going to be seen, The reality is that you need to know that God has a goal. He has a destination in mind. Yes, that's true. Ultimately, we're going to heaven. But even in your situation personally, God is not leading you. I mean, think about it. What kind of shepherd sets out in the morning with his sheep and he's just kind of walking around the hills and he's looking around and doesn't really have a plan? Come time to water the sheep, he's thinking, you know, where, I don't, where do we go? What do I do? The sheep need to eat. Hadn't really thought about that this morning. What are we going to do with the sheep? See, that's, that's not a good shepherd. But what did Jesus call himself? The good shepherd, right? The good shepherd that tends to his flock. And this image of God is all throughout Scripture. You can read it in Ezekiel 34. God likens himself to a shepherd, the good shepherd even. And he talks about feeding and caring for his flock. So because he's a good shepherd, because the Lord is your good shepherd, he has a destination in mind for you. He has a goal. He has a plan. He has a purpose. We know that from Jeremiah 29, 11, right? We know that he thinks good thoughts towards us and their thoughts to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future. Does that encourage you this morning? I don't know what worries or what burdens you have, or I don't know what you're dealing with, but the reality is that you need to know that God, God has a plan. You can rest. Your shoulders should drop a little bit. You know, we go into the workplace. I, I, uh, I work in the, the legal industry, and people are just so stressed out. You know, they're so stressed out. And I'm sure in your field, probably in every profession, I would imagine, I guess there's people that are stressed out because they don't have, the Lord isn't their shepherd ultimately, right? So that's also a good indicator of, of where I'm at with the Lord and where I'm, how close I am is, am I resting? If I'm resting, I know that I'm staying close to the shepherd. If I'm stressed out, if I'm confused, if I'm frustrated, I know that 
that's a, the possi- there's a possibility that maybe I'm not where I should be. A third concept that this word carries with it it's, it's a word that's, it's a, as, it's, as it's called in the dictionary, the, the Hebrew dictionary, it says that it's a transitive word. It carries with it the concept of flowing and going. That's literally what it says in the Hebrew dictionary. And that's also encouraging to me because sometimes, do you guys ever feel like you're, you're making progress and then there's a stop or even a setback? But the reality is that David saying that the Lord leads us, there's a promise inherent in that, that he's flowing and going. Literally, this word means to run with a sparkle. Sounds a little feminine, but I've got, I've got girls, so I can handle it. Um, do you guys feel like you're running with a sparkle this morning? That's really the way that you should hit the ground running tomorrow, Monday morning when, when your alarm goes off, is you should hit the ground running with a sparkle because God is flowing and going, and each day there's progress. God doesn't waste our time. He's never forgotten about somebody. He's never uh, grown kind of uncaring about somebody where it's like, you know, you're kind of bugging. I'm going to set you aside for a second. You've been complaining a lot. That's not, that's not the Lord. But this concept also, we've got to catch this. It speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit is likened to water in the Bible, isn't, isn't he? And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is so often kind of on the outskirts, kind of forgotten about. And Jesus did say that when the Holy Spirit came, he wouldn't speak of himself, but he would testify of me. But the Spirit of God is really that force, that, that, that third person of the Trinity that's at work in us and through us today, isn't he? Jesus called him the Comforter. And he said that he would come alongside to help us. Jesus said that he would lead us into all truth. Jesus said in John 14 that he would bring to our remembrance everything that he has said to us. But I want to make note of the fact that as the comforter has come and as the comforter has been given, who needs a comforter if you're never going to get uncomfortable, right? So Jesus promised the comforter, knowing we would be uncomfortable, to comfort us and to lead us into truth. So the still waters that David is speaking of here, we got to catch what he's saying, his leading in conjunction with the still waters. Spurgeon said that the, that the still waters that he speaks of here are the influences and graces of his blessed spirit. He said that his spirit attends us in various operations like waters, in the plural to cleanse, to, ref- to refresh, to fertilize, and to cherish. They are still waters, for the Holy Ghost loves peace. So the still waters that we have going through our life that David said aren't a possibility. He said the Lord leads us beside the still waters. What David is saying here is that the still waters, the Holy Spirit in and through us, that's guaranteed. The external stuff, that's not the focus. 
Whatever is happening to you on the outside, that's not the focus. That's not the issue. The issue is on the inside, right? This is why, through the Holy Spirit, we see Peter, the night before he's uh, supposed to go and be executed in the book of Acts, what's he doing? He's sleeping. Why is he sleeping? Because he had peace, right? This is why we see all through the book of Acts, the, the disciples, the apostles, as they were ministering, having that peace, right? I mean, there's a story, I think it's in Acts 4, where the disciples are, are basically, the, the people of the city rise up, they stone them, and they beat them, and it says that the disciples, I'm sorry, this was with the Pharisees, the Pharisees actually beat them and then let the disciples go, and it says they went out rejoicing. It's a bit odd, after being beaten, but you see, this is the work of the Spirit in our lives. No matter what is going on at work, no matter what is going on with your health, with your family members, the Lord has promised his peace, and that peace is guaranteed, regardless of the external. You guys catch that? It's, it's a key. Because if I'm focused on the external, it's never going to come. The peace will never be there. You know, you can have good days, and then what happens the next day, right? So peace is not contingent on what's on the outside, it's guaranteed. Looking at verse 3, David says that he leads us in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Now, it's interesting to note that this is a different word that David uses here for lead. A similar concept, but a bit different. This word carries with the implication to, to guide, to transport, or to lead forth or back, and I love this one, to straighten out. And David says that he leads us in the path of righteousness for his namesake. So what David is saying here, inspired by the Spirit, David says that God will straighten us out. If you're going to the right or to the left, if you're confused, if you're not sure, if you mess up, he's going to straighten us out. And this is true, too. We read in Jeremiah 31 that in the new covenant, God said that he would write his will on our hearts. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So you guys catch that? That it's, it's God working in us. It's God that's going to lead us. It's God that's going to straighten us out. He's going to lead us forth or lead us back, depending on where we need to be. So this kind of relates to the, the previous concept that we just talked about, is that God is going to get you where you need to be. So, so often Christians say, well, I'm just confused on what decision to make about this circumstance, or I, I'm confused on which way to go, or I'm not sure what I should do. But the reality is, it's somewhat, it would maybe sound insensitive to tell them this in the moment, but you can tell them, God's going to get you there regardless of, of the decision you make, in a sense. Now, we need to be led by the Spirit. 
We need to be led by being in his word, right? David said that your lamp or your, your word is a light into my feet and a lamp into my path. And we need to be led by the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said would guide us into all truth. But the reality is that I think even if we make wrong decisions, that as Paul said, he causes all things to work together for good. So what, what this is saying here is that God is going to lead us back or lead us forth or, or, or straighten us out to where we need to be. So if, if you feel like you're not where you should be, but God's not moving you, then that means you're right where you need to be. And I think so often we get confused because we think, well, God's not speaking to me. I've been praying for a new job, and I just continue to go to this job day in and day out, or I'm praying for this person to get saved and nothing's happening. But the reality is that when it's time to speak, God will speak. If he's not saying anything to you, it's like, it's like with my kids. If I don't have anything to say to them, I'm not, there's really nothing to say in the moment unless they're asking me a question or something like that. And the same way with the shepherd, if you think of sheep, it's not up to them to, you know, asking the shepherd, are you sure you know where we're going? Are you sure there's a watering hole up over this hill? Have you thought about lunch? Um, you know, those types of questions, what do the sheep do? And, and, you know, we don't, I think some of this is lost on us because we don't live in a society where we see shepherding, right? This was so common then. But for those of you that have been over to Israel or the Middle East or maybe in other parts of the country where they, they have shepherds, you, you, you could sit back and watch that and just see how a sheep might veer to the right, but what happens? The shepherd's going to bring him back, right? And Jesus tells that parable, too, of the good shepherd, doesn't he, that loses the one sheep. He's got the 99, but he loses the one, and what does he do? He goes out, and he finds it. So what are you worried about this morning? I guess I'm asking that rhetorically. What are you worried about? If God has promised you rest internally, it's yours for the taking. You've got to go and get it. What does that mean? Well, so often for me personally, it's just getting away to spend time in prayer. You've got to get away as Jesus would so often do. And if you recall, there's that story where he told his disciples, come aside and rest for a while for you're wearied with the journey. Um, There's also, I think of the story in Matthew where it says that Jesus looked at the sheep and he saw that they were weary and they, they were like a shepherd or like sheep without a shepherd. So you've got to get aside, you've got to take time and rest, and you've got to take time to, to take what's yours, to appropriate by faith what he's already given you. But I'd be remiss if we don't focus on this last aspect of, of the verse here, which is that he leads me in the path of righteousness, not for my name's sake, but for his name's sake. You see, everything that God is doing is for his glory in your life. So if you feel insignificant, you feel, feel a little humiliation, or you feel like you're not important to the world, you're in good company. The world doesn't value us, in case you haven't picked that up yet. Jesus said that the world is, is, is darkness, that the, we're light and the world is darkness, but we're to be a city set on a hill. In Revelation chapter 4, we see John is in heaven and he's witnessing What's going on in heaven currently as we speak? 
And the, four, or the 24 elders fall down before the throne of God, and they, they sing this song. They sing, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and for your glory they were and are created. So what the song that they're singing in heaven right now is that we were created for God's glory. That's the point of life. That's your purpose. It's not to achieve. It's to exist for God's glory. And what does that mean? It means that we live life to the fullest. You live life to the max. Those things that God has given for you to do, you go to work and you be the best at your job. It means that if you're doing ministry, you do it 110%. It means that if you're on vacation, you do it 110%. Whatever you're doing, you do it all for the glory of the Lord and you do it 110%. There's no halfway approach to anything for the Christian. The world can take that approach. But being created for God's glory, we've got to be maxed out. We've got to be living life to the fullest. That's what brings glory to the Lord. So just to recap here, the Lord's leading us, and he has a goal. He has a destination. And if you get sidetracked, if you get off course, he's going to bring you back. And if you don't have that rest today, and you don't have that peace today, of course, a key essential is, and I'm, this is kind of presumed in the message here, but the Lord has to be your shepherd, first and foremost, right? If he's not your shepherd, all those things we just talked about, all those promises, not possible. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. What does that mean? You've got to believe on Jesus as your shepherd. You've got to accept his work on the cross. And for the Christian, we continue to be led by the shepherd by being led by his spirit, as I mentioned, by being in the word. And just that daily walk. I just, I'm so convinced it's just the importance of that daily walk. We want to view things in five-year spans and that we want to see the 10-year plan, but it's the daily walk. So this morning, you can rest by the still waters and you can look to the Lord and you can rest in him because he's going to guide you. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for those truths. We thank you for the truth that we're in your will and that you're leading us. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us about what your will is. And if there's any area of our lives that's not aligned with you, guide us and lead us and straighten us out as you promised to do. Lord, we look to you today. I pray that you comfort your people. Just encourage us today, Lord. And remind us of your promises as we've read. In Jesus' name, amen.